Hey, and welcome back to Sunday Replay. My name is Jace, and today we are looking at the question, what do you live for? Now, this is a question that we're including in our Wrestling with the Questions Jesus Asked series, but it's not a direct question from Jesus. In fact, it is a paraphrase from a passage of scripture that I'd love to read for you, and this is from Mark 8, verses 34 through 38. The Bible says, Then he called the crowd to him, along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. Here's Pastor Mark to look more into today's question. It's good to be here with you in person as well as with the Harmony Podcast listeners. Hello. So this morning we are continuing our fall sermon series, which is called Wrestling with the Questions Jesus Asked, exploring some of the most provocative questions that Jesus posed to others. And the awesomeness of our exploration? Well, when we dare to raise them, these questions, what they do is they bring us to a fuller appreciation for the wisdom, the power, and the amazing presence of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I think all of us are probably sitting there going, we could use some wisdom, power, and presence of God in our lives. Amen? Yeah. So thus far in the series, we have considered three questions. We started out with who do you say that I am? Then we had, why are you anxious? And then last week was, why are you afraid? Well, our next focus of Jesus' questions centers in this scripture passage that was read by Jamie Prince from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. And it's one that is paraphrased, yet one that arises from within the context, this text that is well worth asking, what do you live for? Now, Harmony, this question, though seemingly simple, carries profound implications for our journey of faith. How to live a life that truly matters. What are we really living for? What do you live for? Well, as a youngster, I, I lived for school recess and summer vacation. Oh, yeah. I was counting down the days, man. I was counting down the days for summer vacation like it was Christmas, right? Summertime, oh, it was like a piece of heaven. I just loved it. Now, look, I had to help my dad on the ranch. We had 300 cattle, but there was always time to find to play with friends during the summer, and so we had bike rides down the country road. My mother would make uh, sack lunches, and so we'd have picnics. We'd go fishing on the lake, and we'd just, just play games. It was so much fun. Now, what do you live for? Now, maybe you live for work. Once I, and I'll, I'll say this, is once I graduated from college, what happened is I immediately went into Houston and work became my main focus, work. My first career was in finance, auditing, and that was by day. But by night, as you can tell on the TV monitors, my work involved the world of theater. So that was two separate careers happening simultaneously 
So I was working day and night, all day, every day. And so now I remember being a part of three, I'm not joking on this one, I was a part of three stage productions in Houston at the very same time. Now you talk about a juggling act, I felt like I was meeting myself coming and going. Yes, but here was the deal, I was living for work. I was living to lay down the groundwork for bigger and better things. I was, I was out to make an impression because I wanted to get a leg up in the world. Now, for some in what they live for, their response might be living for that special person in their life uh, or for their children and family. Uh, some individuals, they live for what brings them, Tom Simmons, joy. Yeah. Some live for creative expression. Uh, some love to push the boundaries, and they live for that. Some live for travel. Some live for adventure. Some live to enjoy, hey, I'm just enjoying another glorious day, right? The answers to this question, they just vary, and they're all over the map. Faith community, how we answer this question, what do you live for, can shape our attitudes, our perspectives, and most of all, our priorities, it is very important to answer this question very clearly, readily, faithfully, and on a regular basis. There's this quote that I like from Ralph Waldo Emerson, and he captures this critical question in this way. He says, the gods we worship write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. And a man will worship something. That which dominates will determine his life and character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. What are we worshiping? What are we becoming? What are we living for? For John Mark, who wrote the gospel according to Mark, the only answer is the cross. And in this gospel account, there are 16 chapters. And here we are at the very end of chapter 8, the halfway point. And I want you to understand what the author has done. Very smart. Very, very smart move on the author's part. What the author does is he's built suspense. And he's offered foreshadowing into what's to come into the second half of this book. However, it is the first time, the first time that cross... That word has been mentioned in the gospel. And everything Jesus has said leads up to this statement, all who want to come to me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. You know, it makes sense why Jesus waited until this moment in his ministry to mention cross. Because you see, back then, cross held complex meanings, such as being a horrific and brutal form of execution uh, in which the uh, crucifixion, it was used for slaves and criminals. It was a method that was designed by the Roman Empire to uh, humiliate, and it was highly public. It served as a symbol of shame, of suffering, and of death. So imagine Jesus at the get-go in his calling of the disciples, if he had said, Hey, I want you to follow me. And you know what I'm going to do for you? Is I'm going to help make you fisher of people. 
Good times. Oh, and by the way, uh, down the line, you're going to experience some persecution, some hardship in the form of a cross. Okay, who's with me? Anyone? Bueller? It's sort of like a couple of months ago, I said this in passing during a worship service. How do you think it's going to go over if we had a banner out in front of the church and it read, Welcome to Harmony, follow Jesus, and suffer? But here's what Jesus did say to the disciples. If you want to follow me, the cross is unavoidable. In living out one's faith to make room for the Savior's light to shine, look, this isn't a literal cross that we're going to bear. It is about enduring the sacrificial nature of discipleship. It means surrendering our will to God's, even if it requires personal sacrifice. And because this is then when we have this understanding of the Lord's purpose that is in for us in our lives, and it is deepened. In verse uh, 36, Jesus asks one of the most poignant and rhetorical questions in all of the Gospels. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? You know, that, that word lives in which we could say life, depending on the translation, is significant. The Greek word behind it is psyche. And psyche can mean life, it can mean mind, but it can also mean and be translated as soul. Well, that gives a much deeper meaning, this word, by referring to the totality of our existence. The soul is the source of all that means to be alive. It is what God gives us and gave us from the moment that spirit breathed into us at our birth and at our creation. Our souls are gifts from the divine creator, which draws us into the source of all life and to be in relationship where there is true fulfillment and true meaning. And with this though, Our souls, they still need to be built up and nurtured. And that that can be particularly challenging when we are deeply hurting by the brokenness that we feel inside. When we're enduring trials and tribulations, when we're facing opposition, when we're suffering, bearing a cross. Friends, to gain the kind of life that the heavenly creator intends for us means we are going to experience some losses at times. Put through the ringer. Experience distress and anguish. There are going to be times when we feel like we are just going so up against it and having to make some tough decisions. As these tough decisions and they have rolling effects, it's going to shake us to our very core when we go in opposition of the enticing pursuits of earthly success. And when I'm mentioning earthly success, I'm talking about something that is temporary because that's all about material possessions and worldly recognition. They can never satisfy the deepest longings of the soul. There may be times when you're bearing a cross so heavy and burdensome that you feel utterly alone. You feel abandoned. And you just, you just cry out to God and you say, where are you, God? 
because you're concerned that you've been left in the lurch. There's something I found, I like this quote. I like this quote very much by American theologian Leonard Sweet, and this is what he says. God sent Jesus to be a Messiah in our midst because God always wants to be near us. When we act as Jesus' disciples, when we follow his way of laying down our, the self and taking up the cross, we open ourselves to God's living presence in our lives. When we truly worship God, we draw near to the divine and are genuinely available to hear what God wants to share with each and every one of us. God, Jesus with a G, Spirit, and, right, and the way, as followers of Jesus, it is not easy. It really is not easy. Nonetheless, when we follow Jesus' way of laying down the self and taking up the cross, here's where I firmly believe we align ourselves with God's greater purpose and plan in our lives because what we're doing is we're letting go to gain. We are releasing our grip so that we are now open, our hands are open, our hearts are open, and our minds are open to receive the abundant life that Christ offers. And God's grace, friends, sustains us. What do you live for? What things are you pursuing in your life that is keeping you from taking up your cross and gaining life as God intends? Faith community, when Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and take up our cross, he's not, what he is not asking us to do is deny our essence. God is not asking us to deny the very core of who we are and who the author of life created us to be. As Reverend Dr. Caroline Lewis shares, this is a denial of the self in the best way, the self that refuses community, the self that thinks it can survive on its own, the self that rejects the deep need of humanity, belonging. Jesus' charge is not a demand to deny your true self, it's an invitation to imagine that yourself needs the other desperately, intimately, because this is what being human is all about. Intimacy, belonging, relationship, community. As I wrap up this morning's message, our lives are not mere chance occurrences. We have been created with purpose, designed to bring glory to God. Our purpose is woven into the very fabric of our being, and that's so beautiful. We have been designed, we have been designed for intimacy with our creator. We have been designed to be called to follow Jesus with humility and joy, and we've been commissioned to serve one another with love. Love God, love neighbor. The cross for us as followers of Jesus Christ stands as a powerful symbol, but for us what it stands for is sacrifice, redemption, 
and ultimate purpose. It represents the path of selfless love that Jesus exemplified in his life for all of us. And taking up the cross is a continuous commitment in our following Jesus, even in the face of challenges and adversity. Well, may we find comfort and strength in knowing that we do not carry our crosses alone. We carry them in the abiding presence of our Lord. And may our lives be a living testimony and witness to the power of Christ's unconditional love. And may we, friends, leave a legacy, a legacy that shines brightly for generations to come. Amen? Amen. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will
It's time for the Sunday Replay Halftime Show, where each week we take out just a minute to share about some opportunities coming up for you to connect with the Harmony Faith community. On October 11th and November 8th, our Homeless Ministry Small Group, which usually meets online, is going to be gathering in person at Harmony. Now, this is a group from both our Harmony and Hollywood campuses. And if you're interested in attending, they'll be gathering at 6.30 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. And for more information, you can contact Pastor Bridie, that's Pastor B-R-I-D-I-E, at HollywoodUMC.org. Also, a reminder that the LA AIDS Walk is on October 15th. And this is such a great way for our faith community to show our support for those who have been marginalized through our country's history, especially through the AIDS epidemic. And so if you're interested in learning more or participating, you can contact InsideOut at HollywoodUMC.org. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Replay Halftime Show. For the second half of today's podcast, we are going to dig into the English Bible as literature, which is a really interesting learn segment that we had at Harmony this past week. So here's Dr. Richard Follett, a retired professor who specializes in the subject. College professors never retire. Um, We just get older and older and older, okay? And on your uh, tables, you'll find two pieces of paper and some pens. There is homework that we're going to do. Not homework, it's we're going to do it in class, okay? So you will find the first paper has some lines in it. Uh, So we're going to fill those out uh, once I get started in a moment. And thank you, Mark, and thank you for the uh, praise band and the implications that you've given us for this particular talk. This is going to be about 15 minutes altogether. Uh, You'll notice that on the first page there, where there are lines, recognizing multivalence in the text and interpretations. I need to share with you that this book, the Bible, Okay, whatever version you have, and we actually have print Bibles on the tables also, because some of us still use print rather than just digital for reading. This was not originally written in English. Surprise? Yes, surprise, surprise. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And Mark already gave you some multivalence where he said in Mark chapter 836, the word psyche can be translated as life, mind, and soul. So it makes a great difference who is translating. And so Cullen Murphy came up several years ago with a way to show us in English a translation. I've got number one and number two listed for the second one, but for the first one, I want you to take about a minute and a half, and I'm going to time you, about a minute and a half, and using G-D-S-N-W-H-R, all you're going to do is put in vowels and spaces between the words, because the Hebrew came with no vowels and no spaces. I think most of you can get the first word. It's probably G-O-D, put in a vowel. Remind A-E-I-O-U are the vowels in English. So I'll give you a minute and a half. Come up with a sentence or two or three different ways you can translate that. Only vowels, that's all you're adding. No punctuation, except a period at the end. If this is difficult for you, imagine taking a scroll that's about this large and having the entire scroll in this kind of writing with no spaces, no punctuation, and having to translate that, and not only translate, but transliterate from Hebrew alphabet to English alphabet, or or Hebrew to Greek, or Greek to Latin, it's an amazing task. I think most of you will probably come up with God is. 
Did you come up with God is? Some of you? Okay, what'd somebody come up with? Shout out what you came up with. Yes. God is now here. Okay, God is now here. Notice, please, the way you lay it out. Yes, ma'am. Over here. Over here. God is nowhere. And this is real, and that's exactly what I was hoping you'd come up with in Colin Murphy is too. If you read the Psalms of David, David can celebrate and be in great joy like the joy basket you talked about, okay? God is now here. But you can also read that David was in despair. God is nowhere, which is right. Well, it can also be God is now her, female, okay? Because we're going to see that a little bit later. God is indeed female in the Bible as well as male. Okay, so God is now here. God is nowhere. God is now her. All of those can be used, so how do we know which is the right one? Well, what works in the context, what works with the verses before and the verses after, so how do we transmit that? And it's important with multivalence. What multivalence means, multi is many, valence is value. The values of the interpreters will shape what's interpreted. And you can read some conservative translations of the Bible that will say God is nowhere, perhaps, or God is now here as a more positive translation, and they are in there directly. If you go to BibleGateway.com and you put in a verse, you can get link all the verses in English. There are 55 translations currently there, and they differ. They differ. So which one is the right one? The one that's right is the one that speaks most effectively to you. Let's take a look at the second one. I know we're going rapidly, but you have this to take home. Second one, and I'm going to read it without any way of giving it away. Some people are very upset with this sentence, okay? All you're going to do in this one, you're going to use punctuation and capitalization. And the words are woman without her man is nothing. Okay, I'll give you a moment. Woman without her, one way and another way, two ways. You got one back here for us? Would you read out nice and loud for us? Jefferson, you have a microphone, yeah. I think. Jefferson, hi. Uh, woman without her man. Well, I'm sorry. No, let's rewind. Right, 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 right. <laughs> woman without her man is nothing. Absolutely, Whoa. absolutely. And that's the way I would read it too. So what you're adding is a dash or a colon, woman, dash or colon, without her, comma, man is nothing. But in the old patriarchal days, woman without her man is nothing. She's useless, okay? Why should we listen to her? Notice, please, in that binary, and I actually put this on the board once at First Christian in North Hollywood, and somebody before the class started, because I would put it on a whiteboard, somebody erased it. They didn't even want to talk about it as a possibility because they thought woman, woman without her man is nothing as opposed to woman without her man is nothing. Notice, please, the same words, same order, very, very, very different interpretation. So that opens up all kinds of things for us on the Bible. Uh, I did put in the next portion some salient uh, considerations. The chapters and verses in the Bible came in way, way, way after the biblical texts were, were developed. I won't read through this for you. You can read it and you can send to the church. They have this online for you. But the chapters didn't come in until 1231, okay? Anno Domini, in the Common Era, uh, about 2,000 years after some of the Bible was written. Chapters were put in to make it easier to find them. 
And then the verses didn't come in until about 15, 15, 55. So well over 2,000 years, so chapters and verses came in. If you have read the opening of the book of Genesis, you'll find that Genesis chapter 1 really ends in chapter 4a, and chapter 4b starts another story, because the Genesis story at the beginning is the priestly account, and then we get the folktale account of Adam and Eve. And it's very different, the account. It's plopped in the middle. The chapter and verse doesn't work. So the advice from an English professor is, read the Bible by sense units. If it seems the story is done, then go on to the next one. And I do have some uh, print Bibles on your desk, on your table. So somebody at each table take a print Bible, or as many Bibles as you have. If you are right-handed, take your right thumb, your right thumb. If you're left-handed, take your left middle finger, okay? And put, your, put that thumb or middle finger on the opening of the book of Matthew, which is on page number, uh, in these pew Bibles, page number 911. Okay, put your thumb on page 911 if you're right-handed. If you're left-handed, put your finger, middle finger on that. And then take your middle finger if you're right-handed and put it at the end of the Gospel of John, which is on 1038. So you should come up with something like this. Okay, something like this, that you're pinching that. Now, pastors can't tell you this, but English teachers can, especially visiting English teachers. Folks, this is all the Gospels. That's it. There ain't no more in the canon, okay? There are several others that didn't make it in, the Gospel of Peter, Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and all. This is it. If you are an adult, and if you have not read these many pages, shame. Shame. And I'm challenging you. How many of you have read a novel that's longer than this? How many of you have read a play that's longer than this? This is it. And I have people, well, I can't read the Bible, it's too hard. Sit down and read it. This is all the pages in the Gospels. It's all four of them. Now, I would recommend you read Mark first, because as your pastor said, it's only 16 chapters. It's very short. It was recited on Broadway several years ago. You remember when the guy did that? He came to Miami and I saw him. He recited the Gospel of Mark in two hours, out loud, King James Version. So you can read it in about an hour and a half. Don't stop, just read. Read the whole Gospels, then go back and read Matthew, which is to the Jews, then read Luke, which is to the Gentiles, and then read John, which is a totally different take. But read it, read it for yourself, because then you won't just get teachers or pastors interpretations, you'll get yours, and you can come directly to God that way. I will point out uh, two, uh, three other, or two other salient points on your outline there. First, avoid Christian proof texting. And I just learned in the last few years, Jewish proof texting is very different than Christian proof texting. Jewish proof texting is taking verses to prove a point. Christian per, per, uh, proof texting is taking verses to throw at people. So you say some, to somebody something, they say, but the Bible says. And when they say that to you, please do what I do as an English professor. What language did it say it in? What was the context in which it was said in? Because often they will say, well, it was said in King James English. 
Nothing in the Bible was written in the King James English because English didn't exist at the time Jesus was alive. It didn't exist till about 600, 587, 589 uh, AD. So it was well after Jesus. There is nothing in a red letter edition of the Bible in the King James that, that Jesus actually said. That's a translation, a transliteration from the Greek to the uh, Roman alphabet of what he said and translated and is very carefully done. So proof texting, we don't do in Christianity. Uh, I recommend we don't do it. And finally, and I hate to shake up the church, okay, I've already said don't be, uh, you should be ashamed if you haven't read this yet, but get over the shame and read it, okay? You can do that in a week, okay? okay? Get over the shame. Bibliolatry, I need to ask you this question. Is all of God captured in this book? Absolutely not. In fact, John, twice at the end of the Gospel of John, says there are many other stories that didn't make it into this. In the, uh, the, the Hebrew Testament, we get references to many other books that didn't get in here. Okay, So God is not captured here. And we have some people who are following a dangerous idolatry in our society of worshiping the Bible rather than worshiping the God who is revealed in part in the Bible, okay? And I will say in part, let's go to the other sheet now. On your paper, and we can do the other slide, Alan, if you would. On your paper, and we're going to do this very quickly, Jefferson has a microphone because he's going to start at that table. I'm going to ask for group participation if anybody would like to, and we're going to popcorn read, which is read as rapidly as you can. I'm going to ask each of you, as it comes around, to read five names, just the names, not the references. For example, adoptive father, don't read Romans and Galatians, just as a name. You read five, then the person next to you who wants to will read five, then the next person will read five. We can do this in seven minutes, okay? It's the front and the back. We're going to start with masculine op options of God because some churches believe that God is only the father. God is only male. God is always he. I'm not in that category. Neither is uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Carolyn Stahl Baylor, uh, who teaches or who preaches out in Riverside. She put together this wonderful book called uh, Prayer on Wings, from which I adapted this. So somebody over here would start the first five, then the next five, the next five will go around the room. Go ahead and read quickly. Read quickly and pass it on. Go Adoptive ahead. Father, Brother God, Challenging Father, Comforting Father, Daddy or Abba. And pass it on. Divine Father, Everlasting Father, Father, God, Heavenly Father. Thank you. Pass it on. King, King of Kings, Lord, Lord Almighty, Lord of Hosts. Lord of Lords, Lord of Prayer, Lord of the Dance, Loving Father. And I'll finish up Sovereign Lord and Sir, if you'll give us then feminine options. Start those. Baker, Woman, God. Birther, challenging mother, Christ the mother, comforting mother. Thank you, next. Divine mother, God of the breasts, goddess, goddess of all colors, grandmother God. Lady wisdom, mama, midwife, mother, mother God, mother goddess. Okay, and Jefferson's gonna move the microphone to another table, thank you, Pastor Jefferson, thank you. Mother hen, mother of all, Nursing mother, seamstress, Shekinah. Shekinah. Mm -hmm. Shekinah. Mm -hmm. Sister God, Sophia, weaning mother, weaver woman God, and womb. Thank you. And next table here. Okay. Yes. 
Uh, womb love, womb of God, uh, a minister of life, architect, and author. Thank you. Baggage carrier, baker, begetter, beloved friend, blacksmith. Thank you. Builder, carpenter, chef, clown, comforter. Thank you. And over here? Companion of the lonely, I lost my place. Composer, conductor, counselor, wonderful counselor, and dancer. Yes. Dentist. Yes. Designer, divine colleague, divine companion, fashioner. And our next table. Fixer, friend, gardener, glassblower, guardian. Guide, healer of the sick, helper, Helper of the fatherless, helper of the helpless, helper of the needy, judge. Thank you. Judge eternal, keeper of the covenant, key maker, giving keys, holding keys, knitter, liberator. Lover, lover of the souls, machinist, master, master builder. Mechanic, mentor, minister, music maker, nurse. Nurturer, overseer, parent, persuasive, uh, persuasive friend, uh -huh. uh, physician. Okay, and the next table, mm -hmm. Potter. Potter, I would say Potter, professor, protector, provider, rabbi. Thank you. Okay. Uh, rebel, ruler, savior, servant, sewer. I think sewer. Okay. Sewer. Oh. <laughs> sure. Okay. That may be a typo. 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 My point. My point. Okay. Yeah. Shepherd, teacher, tester, thou, timekeeper. Time manager, you, absence, aim, all. Thank you. Keep keep going. Popcorn. All powerful God or powerful God, Almighty God, anchor, answer to all mysteries, awesome God. Being itself, beyondness, binder of wounds, wounder, black God, breath of God. Brokenness, God is one who breaks. Burden lifting God, ceaseless working, comfort of suffering. Compass, creating God, creative and nurturing God, creative source of all being, creator, creator and preserver of all kind. Cry, cycles, darkness, deity, divine ally. Divine being, divine process, divine spirit, emptiness, eternal one. And eternal presence will turn the page. Keep them going very quickly. We're reciting 275 names, images, and metaphors of God. Go ahead. Eternal source of comfort, existence itself, ever-loving God, oh, ever-living God, ever-loving God, faithful God. First and last, fountain, water of life, generous provider of all good gifts, giver of life, giver of light. Giver of peace, God, God of all colors, God of all the covenant, God of gods. God of Israel, God of life and death, God of peace, gracious giver of knowledge, gracious God. Great God, great God of, great God our hope, ground of being, Heart's delight, hidden God. High and holy one, holy one, holy one in three, Holy Spirit. I am, I will be what I will be. 
I will cause to be what I will cause to be. Incognito God, infinite challenger, infinite God, inspiration to goodness. Isness, mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. keeper, knowing one, liberator. Life giver, light, logos, love, maker of all things. Maker of heaven and earth, merciful God, mighty God, mighty rock, mind of the universe. Most high, our God most high, nothingness, nurturer, one who is always there, our beginning and our end. Our, <clears throat> our refuge and our strength, overhanging tree, peacemaker, power of being, power that saves. Presence, proclaimer of justice, puzzle, puzzler, radiant, glorious God, rainbow God, rebel. Uh, reconciler, redeemer, refuge. refuge, rhythm, righteous God, rock. Sacred and intimate one, searcher of hearts, shelter from the storm, shield, shining glory. Silence, singer of new songs, song, source of blessing, creation, freedom, life, mercy, peace, etc. Sovereign God. Spirit, spirit of God, wind of God, spirit of life, spirit of peace, spirit within. Spiritual presence, steadfast and loving one, strength, Strength of the weak. Yeah. Strength of the weak. Mm-hmm. Supreme intelligence. Thank you. Supreme reality, surprising one, sustainer, technicolor, God, thou. To be, total mystery, true light, trustworthy one, truth. Ultimate one, understanding God, unity of all life, unobtainable, upholder of the falling. Watchful and caring God, water, way, wind, wind of God. Uh, Wisdom, wise God, wondrous fashioner and sustainer of life, word, you. And gender full options. Beloved couple, Christ the mother, divine couple, Elohim, Mm -hmm. father, mother, God. Excellent. And yes. God, goddess, infinite couple, mother, father, God, Trinity and wise couple. These you may take home. They're also available. I'm sure the, the office can send them to you. This is only 275. If you notice the very bottom, there are 967 names altogether by other sources. So when you pray, when you call upon God, you don't have to always call upon daddy or mommy. You can even call on the dentist uh, because God is many, many features. And this ain't all, folks. Thank you. Isn't it so cool when we can look at our faith through a logical lens? I think there's just something so satisfying when you can take the Bible or any aspect of Christianity and look at it through a historical, scientific, or even literary lens. I really love what we learned today. I want to thank you for listening to Sunday Replay and share that this week's guests were Pastor Mark Stevenson, the Harmony Worship Brand, and Dr. Richard Follett. This episode was edited by Donna Miller and recorded by me, Jace Lucas. Sunday Replay is a part 
part of the Harmony Podcast Network, a ministry of Harmony Toluca Lake, which is a campus of Hollywood United Methodist Church. You can find us on Facebook, Harmony Toluca Lake, or on Instagram at Harmony underscore TLC. Don't forget to like, rate, comment, subscribe, and download this episode. We will see you next week for another episode of Sunday Replay. And until then, as Pastor Mark likes to say, peace.